Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Double Shelix. I'm Sally. And I'm Kayla. And today we're going to talk about writing the NSF Fellowship. Real quick off the top, what is the NSF Fellowship? Or specifically, the NSF Graduate Research Program Fellowship. The NSF GRFP is designed to fund graduate students in usually the first three years of their graduate program. And it's super beneficial. If you don't know about it yet, you need to read all about it. It's very beneficial because it supports you as a trainee. And that can often free you up to do work that you might not have been otherwise able to do because it's a little bit higher risk or it's not necessarily part of your PI's grant. So now they feel like they can shuffle you a little bit onto the project that you proposed. It can also just make you more valuable in terms of choosing a lab or choosing a school. So you have some leverage on being like, well, I'm bringing money. Great. Although I have words of caution on that as well. So (laughs) maybe we can save that for later. It's also a feather in your cap. Like if you have it, it can be on your resume forever. And the way we talked in our previous episode, which you should take a listen to first before this one, if you haven't, our previous episode was on the topic of personal statements generally. The NSF has some extra specific tips and things that they look for that other people don't or other organizations don't. And so we're going to dive in on the specifics for NSF. From the top, the format of NSF, you have recommendation letters, transcripts, and two essays. One is a research statement where you propose a specific project that you would research in graduate school and what you would do to accomplish that research goal. And you also include like your long-term career vision and how the NSF will help with that. The other essay is called the Personal Relevant Background and Future Goals Statement, which for this we will call the personal statement. But in our last episode, we talked about how the future statement should have a lot, some about your goals. In this one, okay, if future goals is one of the words in the title, that should be a significant focus area. What are the two big rubric items for the NSF, Kayla? Intellectual merit, broader impacts. Break that down. What does that even mean? Okay, so in short form, Intellectual merit would be, is this research that is worth doing and can it be done? And then the broader impacts would be, how is this going to benefit the people that are paying for it ultimately, which is the taxpayers? I would say for a broader impact, it's not just my research into the P53 oncogene in the context of head and neck tumors is going to benefit people because maybe in the future it can make a drug that those tumors, which is one, but that's obvious and everyone's going to write that. The other is how are you going to make helping other people learn about science part of your career? Which again, it's not just, I'm going to have an undergrad work for me in the lab and then become a professor and teach undergrads forever. No, you need to think this broader impacts needs to, it's worth 50% of your score. Okay. So you need to put significant thought into how you're going to write about broader impacts in your essay. And if you're a few years out from applying, how are you going to start incorporating broader impacts into your life? Because as the research where you have, this is the research I did in the past, this is what I want to do in grad school, and this is what I'm going to do beyond, broader impacts also has to include, this is what I've done in the past in terms of outreach, in terms of educating others, things like that. This is what I'm going to do in grad school to do outreach, and this is what I'm going to do as an industry scientist. So one example would be, oh, I'm going to start a podcast talking about women in STEM and the grad school grinds and early career STEM professionals, which I'm going to share to help other people 
learn about it. It's called Double Shelix. You should subscribe. Wow. Where did you get that example, Seth? Well, I didn't write about it in my NSF, but I did it anyway. And if I hadn't won NSF already, I would have written about it in my NSF. Crazy. I mean, okay, listen, we are not just pulling this out of the air. The cheat sheet is on the NSF website, guys. Look, you can search for what NSF considers broader impacts and think about the things that you are doing or plan to do and how they fit into those categories. So I just very quickly did a search. Let me like give a few examples. Okay, so inclusion, increasing and including the participation of women, persons with disabilities and underrepresented minorities in STEM, STEM workforce, developing a more diverse, globally competitive STEM workforce. There are lists out here about what this can be and what specific examples would be. And you should think about calling back to our last episode, not embellishing, not making up ways that you are, your work is going to have broader impacts, but honestly evaluating what you have already done and what you plan to do and how this will fit into these categories that they're asking for. As an example, when I was an undergrad, I was applying to NSF. In my past history of broader impacts, I wrote about how I like did outreach to science, like elementary students and a few other like activities I had done in undergrad. I honestly don't remember all of them. Oh, I also like work that I had done to like include science writing classes in the general curriculum for all Stanford writing students, et cetera. Then in my graduate school section, I talked about like my research is on, is on synthetic biology. Like I've seen that um, the pushback that's come against GMO foods, and I want to work to proactively educate my peers and adults about synthetic biology and what it means. Because if they, if people are not open to like the innovations that we're making, then they'll never happen. And then it talks about like what I would do in the future on that theme. So it needs to be sort of specific. It needs to tie into something that you're either planning to do in your research or that you've done in the past or that has a personal connection so that it's just more believable. So broader impacts, it's not just, I once volunteered to help students. I'm going to have an undergrad and they're going to work in my lab and they're going to get trained and then I'm going to be a professor and I'm going to teach undergrads. That's like a two out of five level answer. It needs to be really and truly above and beyond past, present, and future reaching out to others. And like Kayla said, you can Google what is NSF broader impacts. It will tell you specifically. The number one tip is don't neglect broader impacts. It should be on every page of your essay for both essays. Number two, read the rubric. You cannot say this enough. Read the rubric. Read every single thing on the NSF grfp.org slash applicants slash statements. Okay, there's a whole page has not only the formatting tips, but like be yourself, use appropriate scientific form, don't be overly technical, develop a consistent theme. Like it's not rocket science, but there will be students who do not read this and then their essays get two out of five because they did not follow the rubric. So what I always recommend, I should have said this in our first episode about statements in general, but you are going to get this gem because you're listening to this episode. Read whatever information you can find about what the fellowship is for, what the purpose of the graduate program is, what kind of students they're looking for, anything you can find on any website. Then read what they ask for in the question prompt. Then open Excel, make column A titled things they're looking for. And then you can write like future leader, not just scientist. And then you can write like high degree of broader impacts on all pages. Just put everything into an Excel sheet. And then you say my essay. Then when you have a draft that you like, give yourself a score for each of those items on a scale of one to five. If anything isn't a four, you have to cut out the other things. And I must say, most people have, most people who are applying to grad school 
have what it takes in their past history to score decently high on intellectual merit. If you want to go to PhD, you're like passionate and you probably have decent grades and some work experience in the field or some research experience in the field. But you have to communicate it clearly. But broader impacts is where NSF is won and lost, hands down. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. You're saying if two people come with equally good research proposals and one person has bad, broader impacts and one doesn't, there's a clear winner. Oh, yeah. Even if they're not equally good, even if the one with no broader impacts is a six out of five or a five out of five, it's an average. If your broader impacts are really low, it's, you're not going to get it. No question. Also, another thing. The National Science Foundation is a basic science organization, which you can learn from their website. And you can read on their website about their philosophy, about how basic science research contributes to America's betterment and to our economy and all of that. It's very true. Basic science needs more research. Give it the NSF quadruple their budget. Okay. This means that your proposed research and your research proposal needs to be basic science research. Now, if you're a basic scientist, this is straightforward. You're a geologist, you're researching learn, to learn more about volcanoes. You're a biologist, you're researching to learn more about bacteria on whatever species of zebrafish gut. People who work in med health sciences and engineering, in my experience, have an extremely hard time taking their work and making it basic science or picking an aspect of their work that is basic science and writing about it in NSF. So Kayla, please tell us how I, who am interested in health and engineering, can make a good basic science NSF proposal. Because you've read a lot of them, so. Yeah, it can be tricky. There are ways to craft your engineering aims. So we're really coming from the engineering side. Our engineering gut instinct is to build a thing, aim one, use the thing, aim two. That has two problems. It's interdependent. And it also is an engineering aim, which NSF by definition is not necessarily aiming to fund. So it's better if you can focus on what you're going to test. So if you can say like, I'm going to investigate how these two different biomaterials affect cell adhesion. Maybe I'm doing that in the context of building a new device. But I'm really focusing on getting that fundamental understanding of how the cells attach to one material versus the other material. And that's interesting because it could be applied to this specific device disease engineering outcome. But focus on the first half. I'm interested in understanding and learning more about how cells interact with biomaterials. I have a chemistry background, so I'm specifically interested in the surface chemistry of the biomaterial and how that triggers specific ligands on the cell surface. Another example from mine is I was in a synthetic biology lab when we were making RNA tools. I think mine was something like, how can we recapitulate nature's RNA tools in a controlled way, number one. Number two, how can we use these tools to learn more about gene regulation? We are doing some tool development, but it's in the context of deeper understanding. Now, I don't say what would be the number three, which is like, learn more about expression of this important oncogene that is overexpressed in this type of cancer. Don't need that. We can just say a big unsolved question. We still don't know how RNA regulation, like there's still a lot we don't know about RNA regulation. I'm gonna try to recapitulate this one small part and see if I can use this recapitulated system to learn something new. And this is going to help us understand RNA regulation writ large. Sally, what if I'm doing research on the physics of stars that are a bajillion light years away? 
and they will never touch this planet. Honestly, ideal situation, okay? I feel like students in this situation, that is basic science research. That is fundamental science research for the sake of science research. I love it. Astronomy, 10 out of 10. Take my money. Go to the moon. Learn about Beetlejuice. Like, whatever. I'm into it. But these students have a problem linking their research on you know, black holes 27 galaxies away back to how this benefits people. So for those students, first of all, think about how other people in your field conceptualize your field's place in the world. You could probably learn from mentors. Like, I don't know how astronomers view the importance of astronomy, but like maybe get a popular science book about astronomy and learn how how that author is framing the importance of astronomy. There's people who have spent their career thinking about how your field benefits people even if it might seem esoteric. So learn from people who have gone before. And then you can also say, growing up, I was excited about space and it got me interested in solving science problems. I want to help other kids get excited about space so they can grow up and solve all kinds of science problems. Perfectly strong. Or you can say, like, if you're from geology and you can say, like, I might be researching this one type of super rare crystal that's found like only in these weird caves in Croatia, but it's super cool because it's one of the only examples we have of like how this element and this element can combine in this weird way. And so I want to learn more about this because it's cool, but like we do also know that similar elements are used in batteries that help people. You can bring it back in the broader impacts, but you're not the first person to try to solve this problem. So find things about your field written for lay audiences and see how other authors have kind of framed it. And I think that's a great starting point. It is tricky, but it can be done. The NSF exists to fund science for science's sake. And they know as an organization that most of the things they fund are just cool and interesting. Only a small fraction will be impactful. And that's okay. That's why they exist, is to be at the cutting edge of every field or like of the fields within their purview. We talked a lot about personal statements in our last episode. So we're not going to talk a lot about that here. It's the same thing except follow the rubric on what they're looking for in terms of broader impacts and intellectual merit. And in that case, the intellectual merit is showing that you are trained, like you've been educated in a way that is going to prepare you to do the research and the graduate plan that you've proposed. And the broader impacts are the types of outreach or things that you have done related to science that we've also already talked about. So it's just a matter of reframing those things that you've already written about, presumably for a graduate school application, into the criteria that NSF is looking for. Another key takeaway point about the research statement. The NSF is a fellowship. Now, I didn't realize this when I was applying. There's a difference between grants and fellowships. Grants fund a specific project. Fellowships fund a specific person. So while you do have to write this research statement with a specific and detailed research proposal, no one is making you do this project in graduate school. That's fine. It's about you as a scientist and how you put together a proposal in your original thoughts. So you do want to make sure that most people will write their personal research or their research statement about research similar to what they did in undergrad. But you need to be careful. Like, sure, you can get feedback, but it should be your unique original idea not just, not just the next logical step from your undergrad project and not just something that your graduate mentor told you to do. So let's talk more in depth about the research graduate plan 
what kinds of things should be in there. I think, Sally, what you're getting at is that fellowships, in a, in a normal research grant, the research is the product. In a fellowship, you are the product. The NSF spends over $100,000. And at the end, they have Kayla Wolf, PhD, who's ready to be out there and be a leader in STEM, contribute so many innovations for her whole career. And so it's worth it to fund Kayla now at age 21, when she isn't even in grad school yet, because we know that she is going to be a lifelong contributor to America's STEM power. Like that's actually how they think about it, guys. Like that is why they exist. It is important to talk about not only about the research that you're doing, but frame it in the sense of how are you going to be trained and get training to do the research that you're proposing? And how is that going to advance you in your career? So a little bit of details about that. First of all, if you're writing this at the end of your undergraduate, you might say, but Sally, I don't know where I'm going to go to graduate school. Sally, what would you say to that? There's two options. You can put somewhere like, I don't know where I'm going to go to graduate school, but I know I want to research synthetic biology. But like they know that it's like a thought exercise. So if you're not in grad school yet, just do your best and say that you are applying to graduate schools with top labs in synthetic biology, right? If you are in grad school, then you need to speak specifically to why doing this bioadhesives research at Berkeley is important because you have these collaborators, you have the relationship with UCSF to get the patient samples, you know, like talk about your training environment and talk about why you are set up for success and why if the government spends over hundred K on you, you are in an environment where that investment can have a big return. It is acceptable to put a hypothetical when you're still as an undergrad. So I wrote, I plan to apply to X program. I just picked one that I was excited about, even though I knew I was going to apply to multiple places. And I proposed a professor there that made sense with the research I was doing as a PI, even though, again, there are lots of PIs who would have been great advisors for that project, slash there are lots of projects that I could have done with that advisor. And I said, like, this person, this environment, this training program is going to be great for XYZ reasons and is going to allow me to do this exciting project. I did not go there for school and I did not do that project and I did not work with that advisor and it was fine. Yeah. Unlike a grant in a fellowship, no one really cares, at least in this fellowship. It's one of the fellowships you can get before you're in graduate school. It's like a thought exercise. They just want to see that you understand what's going on enough to propose a serious proposal that would make sense. Like the fact that you can identify a PI in a school that would make sense for your project, for a project that makes sense, is a good sign that you're going in the right direction. Here's my advice. Do that in your essay. But in the admin forms, when you have to say what your grad school is, if you're still an undergrad, just put your current undergrad school because you don't want to put... Kayla Wolf, Johns Hopkins Graduate School. And then you go to Berkeley and everyone's like, wait, what? Did you not get in? Did you just pick Berkeley instead? Like, it's just awkward. It's not even though that hard to change. And it was just like, you have to go in after you actually receive it and just, yeah, change this, like a drop down box. Yeah, but everyone from your school is going to search for people from that school. And if you put Johns Hopkins, they won't find you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. So back to like what goes into the research proposal. So 
this was all new to me when I wrote this. This is the first real grant style grant that I wrote. The concept of putting aims in there was kind of new to me. If this is new to you, folks, like ask around for examples. That's like my number one tip is like ask for examples, ask for people who have won, ask for people who haven't won. If they got feedback and they're willing to share the feedback, ask for the feedback. That's so helpful. And so then you can get a much better idea of what actually this thing physically looks like because you don't necessarily want to just write a two-page essay like you were in high school where it was like everything's blended. Like you want to have some formatting where you have clear aims, where you have a hypothesis listed. You have figures. Yes, figures. Figure legend. <laughs> yes. Um, you don't need preliminary data. But putting a figure in to conceptualize the research so that when someone's looking at it for 30 seconds and they can quickly understand what you're trying to say you're going to do, that can be very helpful. Those are the kinds of things that you want to put in there. I also think successful examples I've seen, it's nice to delineate like what the broader impacts of the research itself can be within the research statement. But this is like a short thing. So it's like a half a paragraph or paragraph at most on like, okay, I'm going to do this research. This research is on a cancer gene, so I might self-cancer. But also, I'm going to, at this school, they have this one science advocacy program that I'm going to get involved in. And I'm going to use this project as a springboard for explaining medicine to the communities nearby. Yeah, again, use the Googles and see what organizations already exist at the place you're allegedly going to or already attend. Exactly. But be specific. Like, again, you're proposing this work. So propose how it's going to have broader impacts in addition to itself being a broader impact. Love it. Other advice. Okay, NSF, you can apply twice. So if you don't get it the first time, that's okay. Incorporate your feedback and try again. Also, it's judged by three reviewers. Every professor has different things. Like some professors are going to like automatically give five out of five to anyone who went to a top school because they suck. Some professors are going to automatically give a one out of five to anyone who has less than a 3.7. Like that's so arbitrary. And like, I don't know what the number would be for that person. These are extremely arbitrary. And also I will say some students on Twitter, I've seen like for this and other fellowships where you get review, students receive biased reviews where the racism or classism of the reviewer comes through in the written feedback. It's like they only write two sentences. How can you write two sentences and they're still racist? Like, you suck. Anyway, if you do get biased reviews, I'm so sorry. That should never happen. And I know they're working to try to like eliminate this and to remove re reviewers that are bad and things like that. But receiving the written feedback, if it isn't good, is going to be tough, but it will help you. Even if you don't win NSF, it will help you to learn the hidden curriculum and succeed in the future. If I recall, if you have a legitimate concern about that being a reason you didn't win. Yeah, you can appeal. But I would say the more common thing is that you're just dealing with three very busy reviewers. If you're not super clear or if they're not super clear headed, that might be the reason that yours gets missed. I've had friends be like, oh, they said I didn't do any research, but like, I did three summers of research. Maybe they just missed it. But like also, if it wasn't super delineated in your essay, 
in your personal statement by having like three different paragraphs about three different things, you know. But in the terms of modes of failure, let's say, for how you might not get this award or score low on these rubrics, what it shouldn't be is because if you have done the work already or you have a good application, it shouldn't be because it was packaged poorly. That's the thing that you can fix right now. It's probably a bit late to go back and reinvent your CV, or if you haven't done anything that could be considered broader impacts, you can start now and you can talk about it, but like you might not have be as competitive then as somebody who's been on it for XYZ time. But what you can definitely do something about is the packaging. So that's the thing that you can learn from other people's examples. That's the thing that you can learn by reading the rubric and getting feedback. Get feedback often and early. We talked a little bit about this again, but if you can get that out to somebody a couple months in advance of writing, if you can show them like what you're planning to write, if you can especially bounce back and forth on aims, um, that's extremely helpful, especially if this is your first time writing an actual grant. Totally agreed. And on that note, don't be too precious about it. I've had many students where I'm like, they're a close mentee of mine in other contexts. And I'm like, girl, send me your NSF. And she's like, no, like it's it's just very personal. Like, I, I don't know, two comments. Number one, if it's so personal, that you don't want to share it with a close mentor in other contexts. Maybe you missed the hidden curriculum about how to balance personal and professional, which you can learn in our previous episode. Second of all, I kind of get it. Your writing is vulnerable, especially if you feel like you might not be a strong writer. Or you might not feel like you have the strongest experience. But at the NSF, it is the little things that can be changed that can set you over the top. Like your structure, like your format, like what you choose to include versus exclude from your essay. And that's the kind of thing where mentors can help you. They probably have more essays that score above 80% than they can fund. And the difference between someone that's an 80% and someone that's a 95% is the little things. And it's the little things and it's the crapshoot, right? But you can't control the crapshoot, but you can't control the little things. So follow the tips, go to their website, read it over five times, make yourself your pretend rubric, score your essay, score your outline. Are you hitting these key points? Because when these people grade you, they're going to get a little worksheet or like a Google form or something. It's going to say Kayla Wolf. And they're going to have to say intellectual merit. And they're going to have to say broader impact. And they're going to have to give you excellent, very good, good, fair, poor. One, two, three, four, five. Think about that. Break it down further. Read on their website what broader impact means. Read what intellectual merit means. Give yourself a one to five in each of those categories. Anything else on the NSF besides wishing the team Good luck and encouraging everyone to apply. Again, just start early. I know everybody says that, but if I had it, well, with inflation, $10 for every time (laughs) that somebody handed me an essay, you know, two days before it's due. And I'm like, "Uh, I mean, I can give you some comments, but how are you going to fix what needs to be fixed here? It's really late. This goes back to being precious about it. People don't want to show their mentor their work until they feel like it's great. Don't bother. I would rather review three sentences of aims five times than a full essay that you've perfected every word two days before the deadline. Like it's so much easier to edit and to feed, give feedback on the main concept at the beginning than it is to give feedback on the whole thing at the end. Amen. Early and often, early and often. Okay. 
Any last thoughts? Good luck. You guys are going to be amazing. Good luck to you. We're always rooting for you. As usual, if you like this or you know someone who's going to be deep in it, send this episode to them. Tell someone about Double Shelix. Listen to our past episodes related to this, like asking for letters of rec, writing a personal statement, and graduate school in general to PhD or not to PhD. Throwback. Check those out. Good luck, teams. Thank you.